Hello and welcome back to my charmed life. Here we are at part two of my new series where we tiptoe around sexuality in a tutu and steel-capped boots. It's turning out to be quite a journey as conversations around sexual orientation are want to be. The further I delve, the more complex it gets. To be honest, this journey started out for me as a let's suck it and see kind of idea, beginning with celebrating by pride these past couple of weeks. Did you check out my Instagram? I had my own little mini Mardi Gras. It was fun. And yeah, last podcast, I had that highly unusual and very candid chat with my son, which was a great way to break the ice, not just uh, as an interviewer, but also in talking about this stuff. And as fate would have it, that conversation segued into me getting even braver and tackling even trickier themes. Thanks in no small way to the fabulous interview I'm about to play for you. And here's your content warning. Gird your loins, folks. We're going to go there. This is episode 8 of the Eloquent in the Room podcast, a place to get down and dirty and get back up again, hopefully with a fresh new outlook. This series is called Ixnay on the Irony Bay, and this is part 2, putting the bi in non-binary. Yeah, I need to work on my titles. Okay guys, before I replay the interview... Here's our backstory. Jesse Ray, aka J Ray, aka other online pseudonyms, currently resides in Melbourne, but when we met, they lived in Sydney. During the earlier part of this decade, Jesse was one of the main driving forces behind a regular multidisciplinary arts event in Sydney called Art Party. At Art Party, you could experience spoken word poetry, singer-songwriters, rock bands, fire twirlers, visual artists creating their art on the spot, even burlesque performances. Before I moved back to Sydney a couple of years ago, for the previous 20 years of my life, I lived in Gosford on the New South Wales Central Coast. There's a fabulous little venue in Gosford called The Rhythm Hut. You can catch amazing gigs there and you can learn djembe and taiko drumming. You can even crash there if you happen to be backpacking around the world and want to earn your keep doing odd jobs on the property. It's a soulful, eclectic community of hippies and musos and hippie musos and it's a place you can go as a single woman and stock up on some quality hugs. It was my soft place to fall when my marriage ended in 2013 and it's where I found the courage to start performing with my ukulele at open mics. Fucking amazing karma when you think about it. So this one time Art Party came to the hut and Jessie performed their spoken word and original songs as part of the bill and I brazenly plucked up the courage to grab one of the three five-minute open mic spots that were up for grabs for locals to open the show. 
I played one of my satirical little ditties, this one about being a late blooming bisexual. Jessie grabbed me at the end of the night and looked me in the eyes and told me I was fucking hilarious and made me an offer I couldn't refuse to come and play a full set at an upcoming Sydney art party. Ooh, the big time. (laughs) At the ripe age of 53, I had my first paid solo gig. I rehearsed my butt off for the next few weeks getting a set list together because I didn't actually have one yet. You know what, I go into these kinds of details in my stories just to have a whisper in anyone's ear to say to you, it's never too late to do the things you always wanted to do. Just give it a go. When I finally did perform, the audience were putty in my hands, but this was a captive audience, not like you get when you perform at a pub, as I found out later. Jess was sitting front and centre with a big grin from ear to ear. Holy crap, I can't even begin to express how that felt to be supported and encouraged by someone I admired so highly. It made a huge difference to my sense of self-worth as a performer. We met up a few more times at different events. Jess would say, Rose, play that lesbian song. And I'd say, Jess, it's not a lesbian song, it's a bisexual song. At the time, Jess presented as a lesbian. Then a few years ago, they made a lengthy post on Facebook revealing that they were actually bi and had also determined that they were non-binary. Reading about how they had been grappling with this process of self-discovery over their lifetime was revelatory. I was so moved by the sheer generosity of spirit that goes along with making a courageous post like that. There's so much pressure on all human beings to conform. And there can be pressure within the LGBTQIA plus community to conform in other ways. So it had been a while Since Jess and I had been in touch over the last couple of years, we've both been on our own personal journeys um, and had self-imposed hiatuses from performing publicly. And so we haven't been in regular touch over the last couple of years. So when I got in contact with them out of the blue, I felt a bit bad that the reason I was contacting them was to do me a favour and come on the podcast and talk about the stuff that they disclosed in their Facebook post. Um, But Jess was keen, and I was just thrilled. So the thing is, it wasn't until we had this chat that I fully realised how much I had to learn from them during the course of this conversation. I knew we'd have lots to connect on, but it went to places I wasn't expecting, and I came away from it with... A whole new perspective. Okay, let's get a proper introduction underway. These days, Jessie Ray is a harm reduction worker working at Harm Reduction Victoria and the Medically Supervised Injecting Room. They're also on the standing panel for the ARRTS program from the Australian Defence Force and a director for Clean Star Australia. Their father is an ex-army colonel, their mother is a teacher and they are the youngest of five with four older brothers. They are obsessed with catharsis and healing through art, music, fire dancing and poetry. As a painter, 
Jesse aims to capture the spaces between dreaming and waking, hallucination, vision and imagination. They always have a small creative demon on their shoulder and their happy place is at home with their bisexual fiancé, Raw, their cat, Noah and a blissful art studio. I managed to catch this busy bee between jobs a couple of weeks ago and this is how that went. Please stick around at the end for a little debrief. With you, when I first met you back in the day a few years ago, at the time you were identifying as a lesbian, so that was how long ago? Mm. That was, gosh, when we met, that was probably six or seven years ago, I'd say. Yeah. And, yeah, it's been a journey. I mean, I started out by dating guys. I fell in love with somebody when I was 17, dated a whole bunch of dudes after that. It was, wasn't until I was 22 that I came out and I'd sort of been through the ringer with a few boyfriends and I'd, I was and, – and my first love and I, we discussed – we used to check out chicks together and mm. we would just – he would – he he made clear to me that I was attracted to women, that it wasn't just a comparison thing, which my mum believed that it was. Yeah. Um, and in her mind, I actually think my mum's by too. In her mind, she goes, oh, but aren't – you know, all women are a little bit attracted to other women or find other women attractive. And I'm like, no, mum, that's So you'd had incidental, <laughs> incidental conversations with mum prior to this that made her – sort of try and uh, rash, no, rationalise it for you? <laughs> no, it all came after I came out and she ah, was right. trying to understand. Um, but so when I was 22, I came out as gay because I really didn't have an active, like I didn't have an active desire for men at the time. There was no excitement there, whereas with women there was so much excitement. I was eating up queer media. I was eating up queer poetry. And 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 more than that, though, it was something about the alternatives to the norm. I knew that I wasn't stock standard white bread normal fit in between the lines kind of person in my sexuality so yeah so I came out when I was 22 as completely gay and that wasn't really it wasn't intentional it wasn't strategic at the time I felt that I was only attracted to women at the time and I dated women exclusively for about six or seven years after that um and then I had to go back in the closet a little bit well that's what it felt like when I dated, I dated three more guys after that, and the third was Rory. Yeah, and now I'm marrying him. So, yeah, it's been really interesting the the whole process because I've been figuring it out as I go and developing yeah. educate my own education on things as I go, and you know, throw polyamory into the mix, and suddenly you don't have to choose anymore. You don't have to only have one gender of love in your life. You can have multiple because you have multiple lovers. So yeah. um, that's that was really made clear to me with Rory, my current partner, that um, he's my he's my forever creature and mm-hmm. we're both bi and we have the option to see people of the same or other gender or other genders if we wish, and that works beautifully for us. So at the moment, yeah, I'm, I'm, I identify as bisexual. With that sort of second coming out or the actual sort of coming out, it's like that whole Cynthia Nixon thing. She came out as gay first and then she came out as bisexual. And I think she sort of second-guessed it for a bit and then had to stand her ground because there is that certain amount of um, retribution that you can cop if if people feel in some way like they've been misled or something within the community. So did you cop any sort of backlash from either people that were close to you or people that didn't really know you that well that decided to be a dick about it? (laughs) Yeah, people people love to have gotcha moments. People love to go, oh, but you said this and, oh, but you said that and therefore you don't know shit because you've changed your mind. And I've always, always supported the fact that you, with your own mind, can change your mind 
based on new understandings every single day of your life if that's Absolutely. what suits you. Um, I felt a lot of that pushback from my family and that I don't put that down to bigotry or anything anymore. I did at the time, but I put it down to lack of education. So mm. my, my family is the straightest family you can imagine. There's no, there's no one in our family or extended family who's on the, the queer spectrum. 99.9% of my family is right-wing, Catholic, Christian, straight, you know, very standard, normalised. Um, and so Far out. when I came out as gay, there was a lot of pushback um, because it was interesting because my whole family, I grew up as a boy. I was, I've got mm. four older brothers. I was socialised as a boy. Didn't have I did, The first time I wore a dress, not that this has much to do with it, but the first time I wore a dress when I was like 11 um, out of, my own just like out of my own choice my best friend at the time was shocked because she'd never seen me in a dress yeah. I always wore boy uniforms and stuff right so my family's response to me coming out as gay was yeah we knew that that's pretty obvious we we're waiting for you to tell us and I was like okay cool 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 and then mum was curious so mum was curious to understand why I thought that I was gay and so I would yeah. explain to her you know my attraction to women and this and that and she was trying to I I think understand through her own experience of being a woman and her experience of being a woman is that women appreciate each other's beauty mm. you know uh, and cuddle and, and kiss and link arms and have intimacy in ways that maybe guy friends don't or straight people don't or you know I, I and I will never say this uh with certainty but I think mum needs a, a greater understanding of what bisexuality means because I think that in her generation it wasn't considered as such and it was just like women appreciate each other yeah. and so she was coming to terms with she was very curious with her questions which I found great um and there was some pretty horrendous pushback from some of my brothers who thought that it was my understanding of my own sexuality was based on what I was wearing and that I was meeting the wrong kinds of men mm. um which is it's gross. Well, this it's, is it's but, you know. it's kind of stock standard, um, you know, cookie cutter responses yeah. that is out there in the sort of mainstream. I hate using the word mainstream because what even is that <laughs> these days? Um, but yeah, everyone has a projected idea or a conditioned idea about what anything means, and I think that's yeah. why that's why bisexuality is even harder to explain because it means something different to people who are bisexual, let alone what it means to other people. I think the, right. the spectrum within bisexuality is as vast as the spectrum itself um, yeah. because, because it's, so, it's so fluid. I think all it is is a, an, an acknowledgement of those blurred lines in, a, mm-hmm. uh, in an ownership way. And however, yeah. that, however that tide goes, who, you know, <laughs> it really depends on successful relationships or, or, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff that can sort of influence yeah. whether or not you, you've got an energy for whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Like when I first, so when I, I came out, that was a sort of response. And when I went, what I call it, I call it going back in the closet because I started dating guys again. There wasn't any big fanfare. There wasn't any big announcement to my family. I just showed up one Christmas with a boyfriend and I hadn't let them meet any of my girlfriends cause I was not very impressed with their behavior. Um, and I didn't want to expose anyone else to that. And so I just rocked up to a Christmas one day with a new boyfriend at the time. Um, and they all were just sort of a bit shocked and they're all a bit like, Oh, what's, I thought you were, what's going on? <laughs> a boy's um, a face. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And, um, and there was a little bit of like, 
I will say that the queer community that I was connected to in Newtown, I saw less and less of them. I think um, there is definitely a perception that if you're by your uh, your you're supporting the patriarchy or you're supporting uh, heteronormativity or something bullshit like that. But uh, I lost a lot of connections with the queer community. And I don't think that's because I went back in the closet or because I started dating guys again, but rather because I just had less touch points with them. Mm. Um, And, yeah, so it's been mostly from my family. But, again, it's a lack of education. It's a lack of access to these communities. Like if they knew more people, um, and they talked about it more, they would have more education. So mm. I've just tried to sort of let that be because there's a few, <laughs> as many things that my family need ed- educating on, so I'm picking my battles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. The, part of the misunderstanding, I think, of um, what bisexuality is, is the uh, double standard that people attach to women being naturally predisposed to affection, as you say, and the statistics that bear out that um, of the bisexual um, statistics, more are female, um, but those statistics are also affected by the fact that men don't come out as much as bisexual. The Whatever it is we face as women in, in regard to doubt or insecurity from partners or, or vilification or anything like that, it's so much worse for yeah. men to be out um, particularly if they are predominantly um, into men and they're not as into women. It's sort of like it frankly scares me. Like I'm at a stage in my life where I haven't lived my life as a bisexual woman my whole life, even though I've always known that I am. It's just the era Mm -hmm. that I grew up in. So my Mm. opportunities weren't there and all that sort of stuff. But, But what has led me to want to be really vocal and visible and all that sort of stuff is I know I know how it was for me when I was a kid when I got bullied for wanting to kiss girls and and all of this sort of stuff. But because it's just there's not a lot of bisexual male role models, we talk about them later on, like Cary Grant back in the day, he was bisexual or, (laughs) you know, all these famous actors and now people sort of saying, well, they were bisexual, but... Could you name a male bisexual apart from Alan Cumming? Like he's the only one that really jumps out at me as being obvious and out and proud and um, highly representative. No, I can't think of a single one. I can't think of many. I mean, I don't, I don't look for, I don't consciously look for role models when it comes to this stuff. You know, I can't think of any celebrities that are bi. I can't think of many people in my life that are bi apart yeah. from me and my partner. Yeah. You know, there's a few. Then again, I have made the mistake of assuming that women I've dated were lesbians when they were also bi because of my understanding of, like, I'd uh, met some of their partners in the past, but I hadn't gone back far enough to understand that they also dated men. You know, so it's really, it's it's challenging. Um, It's less challenging with polyamory because you've got multiple timelines laid across each other. And so if you know a person for a year, you might know them as having three different partners. But if you know someone for a year monogamously, you may only know them as having one partner. So it's it's that um, contextual knowledge isn't there, Mm. you know? It brings to mind, did you ever watch The L Word where they all lived in the same town so they had the fucking... The roadmap of relationships that you know, and they all they all led back to Shane, <laughs> and I do not blame them one little bit. Um, yeah, so the that's the extra confusion because it's not just battling what outside perceptions are, but there's a lot of confusion within 
um, yeah. in regards to am I gay enough to say that I'm bisexual? Am I straight enough to say that I'm bisexual? Or whatever, wherever it is you reside on the spectrum because the stupid B-I word is there, so it's conjuring up the binary. So awareness is a big thing, um, mm-hmm. primarily from a mental health point of view. I'm right into wanting to bring that up. Um, but it's really interesting that when you were finding all this out about yourself and developing more in regards to accepting your your own sort of um, sexual fluidity or whatever you want to call it around, mm. I, I would say probably similar to most people, it, it was about the people. Yep. <laughs> people come in and out of your life, most bisexuals, I think they're really sort of, actually it's about the people that you meet rather, more so than just going, oh, geez, I really need a penis right now. I, I really need a vagina right now. <laughs> you know, they're sort of, yeah. it's not a disembodied craving. It's just no. people dictate no. how you feel. Um, and that's it. Like, we, don't, we don't seek penises or vaginas necessarily in sex. We seek intimacy and pleasure and you can get that from any combination of genitals you know and I think what's been really interesting in the last say 10 years so I studied uh, gender studies at uni All right. uh, as one of my minors and what I've found really interesting in the last decade is uh, we're understanding bisexuality in a deeper context uh, in terms of it meaning more than two genders rather than just two genders mm. um, but we're also seeing that the concept of gender is constructed and there are not just um too. So, like, my I personally have only dated men and women, to my knowledge. They haven't necessarily uh, – they haven't told me that they've identified as trans. Yeah. Um, I haven't known if I'm attracted to a trans person uh, in terms of I don't know if a person's trans without seeing their genitalia with their permission. It's nothing, you know. So I can't say for sure that I'm not um, attracted to trans folks or that I am, but it is interesting because the more you drill deep into what gender is – the more that impacts how you identify your sexuality. And I think that's – there's a lot of entropy that is coming into and a lot of destruction that is coming into our preconceived notions of these things, these really simplified notions of sex, gender, sexuality. And and I'm, I say, you know, blow the whole damn thing up. Yeah. Like, it feels like a house of cards that has literally just collapsed overnight because yeah. I've got to, everybody's got to learn new language and it's 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 sad because people do attach a lot of their mental health to these identifications their self identification and when it takes other people a while to catch up it can hurt feelings and it's not meant to be like people who forget yeah. to use the correct pronouns unless they're belligerently refusing to a lot of people just yeah. forget to use the correct pronouns. but I've got to say as well, if I may, that in part of this discussion, that's something that's been interesting to me is a lot of my friends, even though they don't know or they might not have known how I identify, they can see in me masculine and feminine traits. They can see yeah. predominantly masculine traits. And so they always assumed that I, or a lot of them assumed that I was queer or that I was non-binary or whatever, um, or may have understood that before I did. But there's also a, a greater understanding of masculine and feminine traits in a person. And, you know, just because a woman might appear with more masculine traits doesn't mean she's a lesbian, for God's sakes. Like there's yeah. so many different combinations of these elements inside of us and that that it's, it's a total mixed bag. So me catching up with even the word cis, it's like, I don't know, eight years ago or something, I saw it written and I didn't know what it was. I had to Google it. Mm. Oh, okay. And then my first impulse was why do I have to have something attached to my 
identification. I took that defensive thing until it really sunk into me what transgender was and, and, and my own assimilation of my own various feelings of gender fluidity from time to time just, mm. by, just by virtue of how I feel on any given day sometimes or the roles, yeah. I've, the roles I've played on stage and, and yeah. the, the body language that I use and I just think some of this stuff is just in there. <laughs> yep. It's not like you have to pretend. You're just, you're just sort of drawing on a part of your character that's another human facet. Yeah, for sure. And if, the way I see it is if we're going to go into classification of people's being, you can't only classify the other. Like that is othering in its very concept. So you have to classify what, what uh, both sides of it. Or, you know, cis meaning um, identifying with the gender you were born as and trans meaning crossing over yeah. or, or identifying with the other or another. And I, I kind of think about it in the same terms as I think about neurodivergence and neurotypical yeah. brains. There's different classifications and ways of understanding how different things work. And I yeah. think once you see it in those terms, you can remove a lot of the emotion from it and the the defensiveness, especially if you're not used to this terminology. And you see, it, it's it's not about othering people. It's yeah. never been about that. It's about the classification, and that's what humans do. We compartmentalize compartmentalize each other to try to understand how to relate and how to orient ourselves in the world. And mm. I think it's pretty normal. But um, I do love that people are learning about queer theory more and more because of trans folk and because of. Um, gender discussion and because of their own uh, desire not to be stuck with what they were given, the, the, the understanding that they have a choice in the matter, that they can identify for themselves and really dig deep into what they feel and what they want rather mm. than a piece of paper given to them at birth. I yeah. think that's extremely empowering. Yeah, just as as the human race develops, human beings develop, so, you know, every so often they've just got to hand us a new memo. <laughs> <laughs> roundabouts are happening at, at the next intersection instead of lights. So let's learn that, what that is. Yeah. And it's kind totally. of the same thing. Like, you know, we're, we're now appreciating that, you know, um, pushing people into these gender constructs all these years is causing massive uh, suicide, um, that, mm. that it's not a phase, that it's not a mental illness, that it's, that it's, it's, it's something beyond explanation. You just have to believe when people tell you who they are. Exactly. Mm. And, you know, the, the other thing is it kind of ties into like trauma response in my mind as well because people are very quick to minimise another's trauma. Mm. Oh, I can't possibly be that bad or, you know, you can't have been that oppressed or whatever. Yeah. But the thing is we don't get to decide the impact of something to somebody else. We, we live our experience, they live theirs. So I find it really strange when people push back against gender and sexuality stuff because – what the fuck would you know? You're not the one living in that body with those desires. So yeah. it's irrelevant what your thoughts on it are, really, unless you're the person who is talking about it and of themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah, just just general um, objection to it, like same-sex marriage. Like the whole time same-sex marriage was on the table, I was very vocal about that as well um, and kept correcting people when they wanted to call it gay marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. But very much people wanted to ha have a part of the conversation that didn't have anything to do with them and didn't affect them. And that's, I guess, yeah. that's where we fall back into the, um, the what I was talking about before with um, 
men who identify as bisexual or don't come out like mm. apparently, statistically speaking, there are more bisexual people on the rainbow than there are any of the other co- colours combined sort yeah. of thing. There's that big overlap there. Um, but women are more likely to come out than men. You know, far be it for me to discuss what a guy's experience is, but I do want to drop in as well that the when was it in the 70s, I guess? Uh 70s, maybe even early 80s when homosexuality was still illegal in Australia yeah. um, or criminalised, women, uh, lesbians and women who love women, could quite easily get away with it um, and they weren't arrested. They mm-hmm. they might have been sexualised, they might have been leered at, they might have been rejected from their families, but they weren't thrown in prison for it, um, whereas young gay men were, all gay, all gay men were at the time, right? And I think... That plays a lot into the current. That was only 40, 50 years ago. Mm. That plays a lot into the current conception, like understanding. Well, histor- of historically, acceptable. a long time, yeah, a long time ago. I don't think um, it was even imagined that it happened. So it wasn't even against the mm. law. <laughs> and if it was, it wasn't Same seen sex. as a threat because women weren't perceived to as to pass on bloodborne virus to one another because mm. that was seen as a up the bum. Uh, penis-to-penis sort of HIV sort of thing. And so it's this, like, deep stigma and discrimination against um, against uh, and, and criminalisation of people, which women who love women have felt that, but I don't think we've felt it to the same extent as, as men have. And I think that has created a really, really tight community among men who love men. Mm. Um, and it's also, it's it's created a, Maybe perhaps a misunderstanding of for women who love women who might not know that who might not mm. think about that context and and how that affects today's internalized homophobia among men and also how men are socialized in a patriarchy like yeah. they're not encouraged to talk about emotions they're not encouraged to be affectionate they're not encouraged to use their friends as social supports only to drink beer kick forties you know beat their chest and get on with it and that's mm. so fucking damaging that's yeah. damaging across the board. If, imagine and, if men were able to explore, curio- like curiously, what what is good for them in a safe way with other guys. That'd be beautiful. There'd be yeah. so much healing out of that and so much joy. But that's not necessarily a thing that I think men feel that they can do. Well, my my glimmer of hope is the conversation that I had with Jack because he said guys his own age have no qualms about admitting or coming out as bisexual, bisexual for the most part, and understanding that, you know, there's just less, uh, less. there's definitely no shame around it, let's put it that way. And, Good. yeah, that's, I know. I was, exactly. I, I, I couldn't be more excited and happy about it. And um, it, it feels it's just stigma on top of stigma on top of stigma with male bisexuals or just bisexuality or homosexuality or anything to do with anything, especially when it comes to abuse. We've got more young men are sexually abused within the church than young women are or boys and girls. Um, And, again, that's more easily swept under the carpet for the exact same reasons that we're sort of talking about. So. Uh, uh, I have my own theories about that sort of stuff. I come from the Catholic Church and I, yeah, yeah, I think that there's something completely wrong and horrendous about the Catholic Church, but that's an entirely another topic for another day. <laughs> yeah. Having said that, it's not like it, it never won't come up because abuse and trauma and all these things are things that I do want to get to in the long run. And I, it's it's like 
everybody has conversations about sex positivity. Everyone has conversations about this, but uh, this and that. But my standpoint is always with uh, the whole eloquent in the room thing is the idea that um, let's talk about things that we're not acknowledging, not necessarily mm-hmm. keep beating the same dead horse all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. the, or just say this is right, this is wrong, and people who don't think that are stupid rather than rather than let's dig it a bit deeper and try and work out why they think that. So I think. This is a, yeah. an, an ideal yeah. conversation to have with you because that's your thought processes behind it. It's like, what you know, I know I think this way. Why? You actually have yeah. that extra layer of curiosity that isn't sort of grounded in a an ego problem of, you know, needing to be right or, you know, not, <laughs> you know, not make a mistake Sometimes. or whatever. <laughs> I'm pretty human though. So, yeah, yeah I've got my ego issues as well. <laughs> Yeah. So I, obviously I don't want you to speak for Rory, um, but is there anything that you wanted to add in regards to how you guys sort of feel there's symmetry? Like um, Jack's new mm. Jack's got a new girlfriend and she's also bi. And oh, cool. And he just sees this as a, an extra bonus to their relationship in that they at least have symmetrical sort of experiences of viewpoints about these things. They don't they don't have to explain themselves to each other. Yeah, it was really, so we do understand each other in that way and that's really nice to not have to explain ourselves. But also, um, so there's a very unique conversation he and I had, I think close to the beginning of when we started dating and we started out as poly and my reasoning for wanting to be polyamorous with him was that I uh, I love women and I love being with women and I don't want to lock myself into a relationship with a guy because I know that I will miss women and I'll miss opportunities to connect with them um, mm. if I'm monogamous. And so it was really interesting because he was the first person I've met, the first guy that I've met whose feminine and masculine sides are completely 100% balanced. He's worked mm. on his shit enough to have awareness and consideration and and all like nurture and all the juicy stuff that uh, that is usually considered a female trait, right? And he's this beautifully balanced person. And yeah. I was madly and still am madly, madly in love with him. He satisfied mm. 99.9% of all of my desires and needs except one. Um, mm. And that's okay. If, if we're poly and if we're understanding and with respect starting our relationship, it's really good to have that understanding of each other and not, um, and not, uh, I guess, keep each other beholden to something that we can't possibly be. Yeah. So I think it's a, a bullshit proposition that in the first place that a partner should satisfy all your needs. I mean, I say that he does knowing that I take care of my own needs, but yeah, the way that I view polyamory, the way that I view bisexuality, the way that I like these things are that you, you, there are many different things that you can connect on and gain from a lot of different connections from, you know, from casual sex, sexual connections to a deep friendship to whatever. And yeah. so to minimize your viewpoint or to minimize my viewpoint and focus only on one person, um, it's kind of reductive. It, it's it's really basic for me because I already know the other side. I know how deeply satisfying it is to make a woman come. I know that it feels like making myself come. I know that in those moments I'm way more satisfied with her orgasm than my own, which mm-hmm. is not an experience I have necessarily when I'm sleeping with a guy. Mm-hmm. So there is and, – and, and the my internal – 
I guess, um, my internal measure of masculine traits and feminine traits and, and, uh, spirit, I suppose, flips sometimes when I'm with a woman and I become more masculine if they are more feminine mm. or I become more feminine if they are more masculine. And there's a, for me, there's a little bit more movement um, in being able to play a role or step into another part of yourself with somebody of the same sex. Mm. So it's been this really interesting journey, but it's always been, for he and I, it's always been pure acceptance, understanding the only rules we've placed around it for each other are don't date each other's mates because <laughs> that's just a shit move. Yeah. Um, be safe. And if anybody, guy or girl, ever assaulted or abused or treated either one of us badly, we're going to go after him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. So those are the rules that we follow and it has sweet fuck all to do with what's in someone's pants. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because this is all coming hot on the heels of the first four episodes I did of the podcast, which were about female orgasm, like four mm. episodes of debunking myths, demystifying, and also taking away all the um, uh, science that has been like pretty uh, let us down pretty much as well as education let us down and all that sort of stuff and taking away even the anatomy. I even sort of said let's just put the clitoris aside for a bit and just focus on what is an orgasm, why do we have them, what are the hormones, what's all this sort of stuff um, and how what is the main trigger and the main trigger that is something that is universal to all of us is that moment of letting go and allowing it, right? So when you were just talking about the difference between your uh, experience with male and female, I wanted to ask a question. You don't have to answer it, but I wanted to ask the question, do you feel less inhibited in either instance? Is there a part of you when you're, when you're assuming the role of if it's the person who is giving pleasure or receiving pleasure or whatever that there's a lack of, um, you know, something that connects you or grounds you more to that experience. What felt like you felt you were more grounded in the other person's orgasm and it was, and it gave you that it's, energy. It's, well, mm. it's not that simple because yeah. it's not that simple. And this may be going too far into it. And I apologize if anyone doesn't want to know as much information about me, but it's there's another element to it, which is, which is that I'm into kink and BDSM yeah. and, and that really does play with dominant and submissive energies or um, what are traditionally understood as more masculine and feminine energies, right? Not not to say that that carries across. So when it comes down to it's not as simple as I, I um, prefer sex with a woman or sex with a guy. I, uh, with women, I feel more like uh, I want to provide I want to fucking worship at the altar. I want to make that person feel absolutely ridiculously loved and capable and comfortable to have the most world-rocking orgasm they've had, right? Um, and I know that Rory feels that same way with me. And that was, like, I definitely prefer giving head to women than I do mm. to men mm. because it's not as invasive. It does, it's not as uncomfortable. I... That said, the experience of giving pleasure to someone and worshiping, worshiping at anyone's altar, whether they're male or female, is an awesome feeling. You feel very empowered and you feel, you feel like you're giving someone the best gift ever. So I can't say, I can't easily answer that question in those terms. Mm. Um, but there was defi there's definitely a sense of 
belonging for me that exists within a queer framework that doesn't necessarily exist where I appear to be hetero, which I appear to be at the moment. You know? Like we're both bi, but like to anyone seeing us from the outside, well, we're just a straight couple, you know? And so I, I, I can feel in myself I rail against that a little bit and I reject that because I know that it's productive and I also know of all the amazing benefits and the growth that I've experienced in entering the queer community and in, in dating women and in loving women and, and everything in between. So, like, yeah, there's a sense of belonging within the queer community that I, and a sense of loss that I don't have when I don't hook up with women, but I don't date women. Um like that at the moment I'm not dating anyone, any, any chicks. So I, I definitely feel disconnected from that sense of myself. Mm. Um, and it's hard. I've been thinking about this for years and I think it's because within the queer community, you meet so many different variations of what it is to be a woman and none of them are defined by a man. All yeah. of them are self-defined and defined by sisters. And so within the queer community, right, mm. I guess, okay, I need to go back a little bit further for context. I was brought up as a dude, four brothers, tomboy mum. Uh, I didn't have very many feminine role models, right? So, and a lot of the understanding in my family was that, you know, little throwaway phrases like, oh, I throw like a girl or stop being a sissy or like whatever, boys don't cry, all of that stuff. So it was automatically assumed that to be female was to be lesser. And it was automatically assumed as well that women wear pinks and frills and heels and makeup and long hair and da, 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 da. that's how you be a woman. And they, you know, to the point where if I sat down too heavily on a chair, my gran would tell me to be more dainty, stuff like that, which I just thought was absolute fucking bullshit excuse my language, but I really, really strongly feel that those sorts of behaviours should be gendered, uh, should not be gendered. And so when I entered the queer community and I met all these wonderful women, it was jarring for me because suddenly I was seeing all the many different ways of being a woman um, and and I was a tomboy and I hated being a woman up until I met other queer women and I was like, oh, shit, you're a, you're a mechanic and you're a painter and you're a belly dancer and you're a yoga teacher and you're a you know, you're a bloody physiologist or you're a physicist. Like you can do, you're, you're gorgeous and you're butch and you're feminine and you're sporty. Like there are so many different ways to be female that I'd had no access to before because the understanding of being female was always dictated to me by men, not yeah. by women. Mm-hmm. And I hated that. So in finding this community, I found a way to redefine what woman was to myself. Uh, so, you know, I learned about gender theory, as I said, at uni, um, and I, I, to be honest, I've hated being a girl for most of my life. I hated having boobs. I developed overnight. Um, and, and I saw the restrictions on a person that came with femininity and came with womanhood. It was all about restrictions and a different set of rules. Yeah. And I have always said, fuck that. And so it's come through, you know, you sort of follow the pathway through my 20s within the queer community, I'm like, hang on a second, that's all rubbish. That's all constructed by men for their own benefit. And actually I prefer the women who make up their own definitions, you know, which my understanding of which women isn't necessarily that they're trying to be more like men. That's not the understanding at all. They, they, they've taken men out of the equation. They just want to be strong in their body and dress how they want to dress. It's nothing to do with men. So, like, these, these understandings are what I really um, developed and it gave me it gave me for the first time in my life a sense of pride of being a woman because I saw amazing women and I met amazing mm. women. Um, and as I continued on, I, I really challenged myself 
I was wondering if I was trans. I was wondering if I was non-binary. I was wondering all this stuff. And I, I challenged myself. I was like, all right, before you get there, before you figure out the next step, like figure out a different definition for women, one that sits well with you, one that isn't reductive and dismissive and less than. And so when I did that, I was able to go, okay, cool, here are the women I know. Then I was able to stay absolutely for sure. There are clear differences between the women I know who identify as women and who love their predominant femininity and then there's me. And I, I feel like a creature. I don't feel like a woman. I feel like a mud rat. I feel like, a, you know, I'm more comfortable in shorts and sneakers than I ever will be in heels and makeup. Yeah. Like, it's just not who I am and it's never been because it's not comfortable and it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. So yeah. all of these things, you know, not to say that clothes type determines your gender, but it really did help me to sort of go through the stages of understanding how I wanted to identify by meeting stronger role models within that community. And, you know, as time goes on, I've realized that I am non-binary because I understand gender to be a fucking construct and I refuse to be constructed by the people who made the rules, which are predominantly dudes. Mm. So how cool, how cool is it? Like it's like um, with transgender being um, obviously more spoken about because people were transitioning from one uh, gender to the other and then non-binary was there they were waving their hands around much like bisexual people sort of going okay um, educating us and educating themselves about the choices they wanted to make I think I think there's probably been the same questioning that goes on there it's like am I transgender male or am I transgender female or am I actually non-binary and I I'm so it it just excites the living fuck out of me um, for many reasons (laughs) because I've always been attracted to androgynous I want to say androgynous Mm. women but I androgynous people but probably more attracted to androgynous cis women if that makes sense i read something interesting the other day so my my definition for myself of why i identify as non-binary is because i refuse to be defined by a very restrictive binary model right Mm. and because i recognize that there's masculine and feminine traits in me whatever i don't i'm not the typical female i've never been um but i read this thing the other day which was that uh non-binary is trans because trans literally means um yeah not the gender that you were assigned at birth. Yeah, yeah. And so that's... non-binary is a is a subcategory, I guess. Of yeah, trans, trans is the umbrella. Up. Yeah, trans is the umbrella, yeah, just like yeah. bisexual is the umbrella. So, and these things um, are being studied in scholarly scholarly articles, but they're not uh, getting the message out there. Probably is not as um, all pervasive as it possibly should be because within the communities you've got people being a little bit factional about it and 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 I don't know the there's politics yeah. there people people want to want to jump on the bandwagon of what they want you to be rather than who you really are sometimes so yeah it's 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 back to that classification thing like we we feel safe and feel a sense of belonging when we can identify that those who are around us share the same values, right? Mm. And so I can totally understand why, you know, the lesbian community might, might reject bi women or bi men, uh, you know, from the gay community, that sort of thing. But 
uh, like I can understand why there's a level of suspicion there that that bi women are just sort of weekend warriors that are interested in experimenting but not interested in the long haul and not committed to you know long term gender theory discussions mm-hmm. and all that. But mm-hmm. like at the same time, I think that's a fear, a product of fear, and a product of having been rejected from so many people for so long and having to fight for a place a sense of safety and a sense of belonging in the world. So I can't hold that against anybody because I've also done it myself. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty excited when I meet other non-binary folk because I have the same thing. It's And, and I've, I've had people really question, even pretty woke people question, not question, but curiously ask me why I identify this way now since I've moved to Melbourne especially. It makes it a hell of a lot easier to move away from my entire community and re-identify myself. But um but even yeah, I found that really strange because um, because their definitions were different, mm. and so mm. by their definition, I wasn't making sense. But that's okay. Yeah. Like this is all a very amorphous mix of constant learning, isn't it? It is. We can it never is. be absolutely certain. <laughs> on one on one hand, people idealize the situation and sort of say, "Oh, I don't like labels, or I don't like to use a label." But right or wrong labels do help some people some people because, yeah, because sure. it gives them that community and it gives them that sense of you know um needing to needing to give who they are a name or how they feel a name just to further reinforce in themselves think something mm. that something that they know about each other and they can actually direct someone to a text in a book look I identify as this yeah. person and this is my label and actually it helps other people deal with it rather than the person who assigns themselves the label if that yeah. makes sense. Um, yeah, totally. person, one of these with the um, Black Lives Matter um, campaign and protests and everything that's been happening over the last few months, which has been obviously really, really stressful and triggering for a lot of people, um, I've come across a wonderful um, leader by the name of Janaya Khan, and they are mm-hmm. non-binary, um, biologically female, and mm-hmm. one of the best speakers and most gifted um, leaders and just so most charismatic and most singularly um, beautiful people I've ever seen in my life, you know. Um, and that's that's the thing is with this... Uh, Recategorization it it gives me a name for what I feel mm-hmm. when I'm attracted to people who are non uh, to me I guess it is non-binary it's it's more than androgyny it's more than just a, yeah. a so I know that I'm not I'm not like someone walks in the room and they're particularly handsome or, or good looking or pretty or whatever I don't sort of get all thingy but I know if Janaya walked in the room, I wouldn't know where, what to do with my face. <laughs> I would faint. I would be so enamoured of just how perfect a human being they are to me, you know. So I, I feel that so, way about a, um, the lead singer from the internet, especially in a song called Don't Ya. You should look this up afterwards. But okay. I don't know like how that person identifies at all. All I know is that they're probably the most gorgeous and talented singer I've seen in my life and, yeah, so attractive. Yeah. So when some people, yeah, go go nuts over Brad Pitt or, or whoever who's conventionally good-looking and I'm, and I'm just, I don't understand it until I do and it's always about someone who's really interesting. But Janaea says, 
They are non-binary because they are too cute for just two genders. So there's a lot of beautiful self-confidence and stuff that that goes with their message and everything. And I highly uh, recommend you follow on Instagram or or whatever. Yeah, well, Mm. that's just reminded me actually like a lot of my uh, uh, rejection of the woman label over the years has had so much to do with other people's expectations on me, but not just my behaviour, but my future me, like my future actions. And if I'm going to use my womb, if I'm going to bear children, if I'm going to do this or that, like, and it's so, it's so basic mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's so invasive and it's so personal um, that I don't, there's a part of me that wants to throw all of that entirely away. And if I, like I normally preferably have a shaved head, I'm growing it out now for my mum. This was the payoff. My mum my uh, wanted me to grow it out and have girly hair for the wedding. And, you know, I'm her only daughter. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I did promise that I would do that. But um, I, the day after the wedding, I'm going to shave it off again. And the, the reason I love it is because when I'm out in the world, A, I don't have to think about hair and do hair and pay for hair and have the hair take up my life. But people don't know whether I'm male or female, they don't know whether I'm queer or straight. They don't make assumptions about me and they don't make assumptions about my uterus. And that Mm. is crucial because it's not any fucking business, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I love that. I think that that for me is privacy. Yeah. It's so weird to me that people uh, who, you know, strangers on the street, random, you know, distant relatives will pry into your life in this way because that's their understanding of how life goes or that's yeah. the, the normal path that you should follow. And I don't ever want to follow that path. That's not for me. Yeah, that's the way things were always done. So that's the way things are done. It's like the gender reveal parties. I think people know oh that God. they know that it's 2020. They know that it's wrong, but they want to do this thing that people are doing. Everyone's sort of treating it like it's so the same as uh, uh, a wedding or, or some kind of it. It is. It's 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 an odd thing. It's even more ridiculous now that you consider how many bloody bushfires have started in the States from gender reveal explosives. Like, can you get more irresponsible? No. <laughs> or even, What I've yeah. loved seeing, actually, I've, I've had a bunch of friends uh, recently who have fallen pregnant or had kids, and because they've had kids in this day and age, they've, one, one friend in particular has given their kid a name that can be androgynous and can be easily changed if that person, if their kid decides that they're a different gender. And they put that much thought into it when they were naming their kid, that much agency. And I've mm-hmm. seen it multiple times, you know, I've asked, you know, people ask at work and another, another woman's pregnant at work and someone asked them, oh, you know, what are you having? And she said, oh, I'm having a boy until, at least I think I am, until he tells me otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. that's, you know, until he knows enough about himself. And I just thought that was just so beautiful that people are cottoning onto it enough to implement those teachings into the next generation. It's not, it's, it's becoming normalised and uh, to be able to identify yourself rather than have another do it. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. It's, it needs to be said as well, though, that, I, what I wish that I, I, maybe I don't wish I'd done anything differently, but I think it is really important is to have uh, folks understand that there can be a period of exploration as well. Like how yeah. some, some may know in, without a shadow of a doubt that they're, they're gay or lesbian or queer or bias from when they're young, but 
Others may need to experiment, play the field a bit and really get to know what it's like to be in same-sex relationships or mm-hmm. other gender relationships so that they can identify themselves because you only yeah. know what you know, right? And sometimes even if attraction is there, you may not want to pursue relationships with, with folks. Like there's there's a whole range of things that go into it, but I think we need to, like my, I've always thought the Q in LGBTQ stood for queer, but I have understood it since as to potentially stand for questioning. And I think that's a really important part of our sexuality is the ability uh, to continue questioning it. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? And not that, necessarily to identify straight away. Yeah. Because that's another big umbrella. Like technically we could get kind of get away with just having a cue instead of all yeah. the letters. <laughs> but totally. we, yeah, yeah. But uh well, yeah, but everyone's sort of wanting um, to have their their own sense of their own, what their particular assignation is. But I like queer. Yeah. I think as a, I I, I like that it's it it it's le- less the least binary of all. It seems. Yeah, I feel the same more, way. More, more leeway, way. more leeway there. It's, it's not just it's gender, it's orientation, it's this, it's that, the other thing. It's, it's even to do with whether or not you're kinky or, or whatever. So yeah, yeah. True. True. Um, <laughs> yes. So um, I, yeah, I gotta, I've got to put my ego back because I do. I, I like, I want to sort of say, well, your your experiences with your orgasm may change as you get older and you may find that you you tune in just as much to um, any gender that you happen to be with in the same way that you do with women because, you know, yeah. whatever I, yeah. neurodivergencies ha- happen at the time. Yeah, no, I mm. agree. I think this is what's really interesting is that while I've I, I know that I have a lot of internalised stigma about a whole bunch of topics that I am always working to unpick and, and understand. And I think everyone does, whether or not they recognise it in themselves, right? And, and the more I understand um, the lived experience of trans folk, the less stigma I find in myself and in those around me who are also learning. And and it, it really does not have anything to fucking do with bits. Like from an outside perspective, if mm. you're falling in love with a trans person, you want to make them feel good all over their body, not just on their, their bits, you know, like on mm. their fingertips as well as their eyebrows. Like yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a whole body sensation. It's not just uh, located to one area. So, yeah. yeah, I agree. I'm sure it will continue to morph and change. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's um, how you doing. That that seems like a good spot to wrap it up because I don't wanna, I don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, but I really, really, really appreciate you giving me your time and being being really um, candid. It's it's uh, it doesn't matter how comfortable you think that you can be. I think there's still that room for you know, remaining uh, humble and curious about everybody else's experience and just sort of saying, oh, you're a woman? I know what that feels like. <laughs> oh, you're... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't know shit. We only know what we experience, right? Yeah. Even if someone tells us stuff, we can only understand it in terms of our experience. <laughs> well, There's you've... so much that we can't possibly know. 
Well, every conversation that I have or any time I read anything or or look at anything, I always discover something new. And you just gave me a new perspective on butch women. You put me in a headspace where, yeah, you put me in a headspace where I didn't because we... We've been othered, women have been othered for so long that the idea to put uh, womanhood on a spectrum that is go from extreme female to the other and at the other end has to be male. (laughs) Yes, it's bullshit. Rather than being another expression of being female as just being, you know, a strong, solidly built um, you know, uh, uh, competitive or whatever, whatever it is that defines that person as butch to them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's I've been called butch by people in the past as a slur. I, you know, when wow. I was identifying as a lesbian, I was feeling that I was a soft butch, uh, sorry, yeah, soft butch or a, a hard femme uh, and... So I can't, and I dated a couple of butch folks as well, butch women as well, so I can't speak for them. But the reading that I did on it, especially at uni, was, and I don't know if many people think about it in these terms even. I I think about it in an academic sense because I studied it, but um, I really, 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 really identified with the fact that um, you can't assume, like there is an assumption, especially from straight white dudes in society, that butch women and butch lesbians are trying to replace the man in a relationship. They're trying to, you know, fill the gap in essentially. And that's just mm. so fucking wrong and it's so far from the truth. It's it's an entirely new definition of self that has nothing to do with men and that I think is really difficult for men to, to grasp but um, to not well, be centred for the first time. And it's but not it's, even just yeah, men. You have to just... talk to a butch person. Yeah, it's not even just men when you think about it. It's just the traditional way of seeing what male and female are and we look at men who are soft in the same way. Mm. So yep, it's sort of, we do. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. I'm talking etymologically speaking as well. I'm talking about mm. even the word female has male in it and woman has yeah. men in it. Like yeah. it's... it's we have always been the rib of Adam, like the afterthought, and I'm fucking... I, I fight against that because... <laughs> totally. Actually, Adam didn't come first. Someone had to birth Adam, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I forget, forget the Bible entirely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, well women always that. should come first. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking oath. I think that's a great, a great point to finish it. <laughs> All right, my uh, love. Uh, it was really, really lovely to see you and hopefully catch up soon and perhaps we'll um, deep dive into a different topic on a different occasion if you're feeling up to it. Yeah, sounds like fun. Awesome. Please give Rory my love. I will. Thank you so much for this. I'll uh, look forward to when it comes out. All right, sweetheart. So there you go. How was that? I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys did too. Apologies for the sound quality. I was so engrossed in the conversation that I didn't notice at the time that there was a few noises and um little bits of interference with the signal and stuff. Um, Jess was talking on a laptop. Um, But, yeah, we were both so engrossed in the conversation that I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to that. Um, So I hope you could make it out pretty clearly for the most part. Um, And, yeah, I, I just think as a conversation, we did sort of circle back to the same topic a couple of times only to branch out I liken it with bisexuality being the pebble of a conversation and every time we threw a pebble into the stream to talk about it it would radiate 
out to different topics and we'd circle back to it again and then it would radiate out again to different topics. So it was an interesting conversation and I've been floating on air ever since, I've got to say. Um, And it also segues really well into the fact that the very next uh, interviews that I had, which was over the weekend, um, they were back-to-back interviews that I had with a 21-year-old trans man and a, let's say, mature age trans woman. Um, And the contrast in those conversations meant that it was a roller coaster of stuff, emotions and concepts. And um, I'm going to try and thread those two conversations together. We'll see how we go. They'll either come out as two separate podcasts or they will be one podcast broken into two halves I have to go back and have another listen to them but I just feel really fucking lucky to have these wonderful people come into my life and therefore because they are friends in my circle um, I'm able to bring them into this podcast situation and learn that much more about them and learn that much more about human nature and the bonding exercise of having the conversations it's just been just been awesome so I hope you're enjoying them let me know get in touch Um, as I say um, always you're always welcome to get in touch with me drop me an email or a dm on any of the social media platforms um, send me a message at the eloquent in the room at gmail.com. Jump onto my website if you want to be anonymous. Go to the links page and there's um, survey links for you to pop on and you can send me anonymous questions or anonymous feedback that way. It's really open. Um, thanks again to people who have, have been in touch to tell me how much they were moved by the conversation that I had with my son in the previous podcast. Um, that really hits me deep down inside where I live. So thank you very much because it was a bit risky and weird to contemplate it, but it felt really normal and cool afterwards. (laughs) Don't you hate the constraints of society and how they hold you back from doing things that uh, end up being really worthwhile? Anyway, all this gender and sexuality stuff is helping me wend my way towards talking about love, relationships, anxiety, trauma, and all that other fun stuff. Um, I'm just following it as I go and letting it grow organically. Eventually I'll get around to talking more about sex. Um, I only lightly touched on masturbation previously during the orgasm podcasts. Yes, I said that that way and um, I'm pretty sure I should probably come back to that eventually so if you've been hanging for that get in touch (laughs) give me a nudge and tell me what you want me to talk about Um, oh the other thing is I've popped a playlist onto Spotify people have been saying to me how much they enjoyed the musical morph things that I threw into 2020 and orgasmic oddity and lordy knows that I um, made a lot of geeky references to movies and everything throughout that series and intermittently ever since. So 
I've thrown a playlist together that have um, obvious music that you may have already heard in the podcasts and possibly wondered who the artist was, um, and also incidental references attached to the geeky film references that I made, or anything I might have sung subliminally, subliminally, subliminally in the background, or maybe even during my bisexuality awareness campaign on Instagram. Um, So yeah, if you like my taste in music, you might want to jump on a Spotify, look for either Rose Cooper and or the Eloquent in the Room playlist, and you'll find it that way. Okay, cats and kittens, that wraps it up for another podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to things that were mentioned in this podcast. Um, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you guys next time. And until then, don't forget, if anybody tries to tell you who you are and how to live, tell them to fuck off. what you're trying to say but I don't want to live that way now fuck it just tell them to fuck off <laughs>